The following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. damage assessment, and we're going to continue with our number two in a series on COVID-19 and the damage assessment, the fallout of what actually has happened uh, this last year. And today we're going to focus on addiction, and we're going to talk about opiate addiction and alcoholism and depression on this program. And of course, there have been numerous articles that have been talking about a widespread uh, type of anxiety and depression that is actually out there in uh, the culture right now, and people who really have not gotten the kind of help that they need, and we're going to focus on uh, the opiate addiction crisis that is obviously skyrocketing. We the, the gains we were making, the gains were all wiped out during the COVID shutdown. With me on the phone is someone who can talk about this in a very expertise way, and that's uh, Pastor Greg Delaney, coordinator of the Woodhaven Recovery of Dayton, Ohio. Pastor Greg, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Chris. It's an honor to be here with you today. Thanks so much. Well, brother, it's good to hear your voice, and, you know, this has been a difficult year, I know, for so many people, and, you know, personally, you know, you know, even in my life where uh, my mom passed away, she actually died of COVID in a nursing home, uh, you know, our family was, uh, you know, we recovered from uh, COVID. There was like 14 members of our mem- uh, family right after the funeral, actually, in December. It uh, just happened to fall that way. And so it was a very difficult Christmas season. And, you know, lots of people, um, you know, family members, actually, we lost family members this last year, not necessarily from COVID, but sometimes just the stress of life. Some of the elderly give up. You know, there's there's the will to live, and <laughs> and sometimes... Uh, they they can sense even when they may have um, increased age and dementia and maybe already have some problems, and they can tell that there's stress in the general society and even with family members and all with the COVID shutdown. And some folks kind of gave up, and we so we lost some family members. People had health issues. I've lost personal friends and family this last year. So, you know, the loss is very real and acutely aware. I think in 
talked to a lot of people who have experienced the same kind of things. I know that you went through some difficulties as well. Your thoughts? Yeah, and I, I want to first say that I'm so sorry uh, for all that that happened in your family, and and I'm, I'm glad that you came out on the other side of your illness. And uh, but I know it. You know, after we had talked, I knew it's been a rough season for you. And but I know your faith is strong, and I know that uh, you came out on the other side uh, with purpose. And I know that part of what we're talking about today is to, you know, just hopefully give some hope that we are hopefully on the other side of this. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you asked me about uh, my journey. Um, 2020 was really, uh, Chris, to, to be a banner year for some of the work that we do. We had, had plans to speak at a couple of uh, national conversations and national conferences about engaging the church uh, in this uh, effort. Uh, we were going to be in Baltimore and Anaheim and some other places, and all that obviously went away. And we ended up having to do that, you know, virtually. But on, on a personal level, I I found myself in July. Um, you know, I actually had preached a sermon at my church on interdependence, and uh, I really have to tell you that I don't know if I believed it. Um, went to a very dark season. Didn't feel like I was being very effective in the work that we were doing, and really feeling pulled by my own substance use disorder um, again, and um, then then encountered some health issues of my own, not COVID-related, spent some time in the hospital at the first of this year. But I can say again, as I mentioned, God is faithful, and uh, he's, he used that time of challenge for me as a, a time of learning and a time of finding my, my purpose again and being kind of called back into the space. And... Um, and since then, uh, we're really starting to see, I think, momentum in the right direction when it comes to finding ways to engage leaders of faith and others into helping people who clearly not just during COVID, but prior to COVID that still struggle with substance use disorder, uh, mental health challenges, depression, anxiety, et cetera. Well, that's right. And, and brother, you're so needed in the work, and I'm so glad that the Lord re-energized you and and look, we share that transparently with this audience so that they know that, hey, all of us go through difficulties and trials, and it's Christ who sees us through, and that's the message we want to give in this broadcast. We want to talk about the hope that lies before us. Um, I'm reading from The Atlantic. This is a recent article. It talked about the mental health crisis of the pandemic is real. A staggering four in ten adults have reported symptoms of anxiety and depression, a quadrupling of the pre-pandemic rate. More than one in four mothers reported that the pandemic has had a major impact on their mental health. 24% of parents have reported being diagnosed with a mental health disorder since the start of the pandemic. And, you know, here's another article. The CDC reported a 51% increase in suicide attempts. Now, we obtained the suicide numbers from the Department of Health of Ohio and, of course, Ohio, unfortunately, pre-pandemic was growing in the rate and numbers of suicide. Now, the 2020 numbers are actually down a little bit from 2019. That's good. Why that is, you know, most people would assume that the numbers would be higher. Well, they were in some counties, okay? Some rural counties actually ex uh, experienced a, a great, uh, unfortunately, increase in suicide rates in some rural counties, but overall, Ohio, it's been down a little bit. Now, these aren't the final numbers, and it may prove that the numbers are slightly higher than 2019, but quite honestly, the 2018 rate of suicide in Ohio actually got national attention. So 
we're not in a good place in Ohio. We need to reach those people who are the forgotten and uh, disconnected, maybe from church or maybe from family, even in your own neighborhood, somebody that seems isolated. This is an opportunity. What we're sharing with you about is reaching out to those, rescuing the perishing, and touching people that may be isolated from others, because the worst thing is to be isolated in all this. So here's a number from the CDC. saw so a 51% increase in suicide attempts by adolescent girls during the pandemic. You know, young ladies, of course, they're they're very social type folks, okay, and and all the things that young ladies do. In fact, you know, one example is, and someone always pointed this out to me: girls always go to the bathroom together. Guys don't do that, okay. So young girls <laughs> actually do things together, right, where guys don't. And so you can just imagine the pandemic and the shutdown and at home and no school and no activities, uh, no getting together, no socializing really had a terrible effect on our adolescent uh, teenagers. Your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. And I, I think some of those numbers that you shared, there, there's some consistency in other communities as well. I know you, you provided a, a national number. I was just recently in Atlanta, Georgia, doing a conference and, uh, you know, similar conversations with our friends down there in, in Atlanta. The, the week prior, I was in Nevada and, and had some similar conversations. And one of my dear friends in this space is a, is a fellow named Dr. Monty Burks. He leads the, the faith-based initiatives for the state of Tennessee. And we're, we're actually doing some work in collaboration to try and to create a certification program for churches, uh, really to help them minister uh, more effectively. And one of the things that we did during that training with our friends from Nevada that we gleaned from Tennessee was Tennessee was seeing this intensely high increase in, of folks who were calling the, you know, the mental health line and the suicide prevention line in their state. And so one of the things that, that they're doing uh, in their congregational community as well as in their community are providing something called question, persuade, refer training. And it really is to bring awareness uh, at a community level and, and in their case at a church level, uh, training on how to uh, address someone that you may think is, uh, you know, considering uh, completing suicide or, you know, and, and has, has and what signs to look for and really how to have the conversation. Because COVID most certainly uh, has has validated something that you and I have known to be true for a long time, that. You know, the Lord built us from community, you know, for community uh, from the very beginning of time. You know, he looked and he he saw that Adam wasn't complete because Adam was alone. And and so, you know, it brought him a companion. And from that very start, the, the importance of being connected has never, you know, has always been, you know, a priority for all of us. And, and the pandemic provided, you know, this disconnection and this isolation. And so, you know, not knowing really what to do with that. And seeing those numbers go up where that, that turned to desperation and then people, you know, seeking out and looking for help through the lines or the text lines, or we have a warm line here in Ohio that was and continues to be heavily used for, for uh, mental health challenges. And so what we're, what we're seeing is that not only do we need to create awareness about reaching out to our loved ones, finding ways to create connection but really doing that in a way that, that, that there's some evidence behind it, that there's some real training, there's a real uh, way to do that. And then also from us as faith leaders and lay leaders, you know, having enough knowledge to know, hey, if we, if we are able to start this conversation, we need to know where those resources are 
in our local communities so that we can, you know, connect, uh, you know, the, the folks that we are intersecting with to the appropriate resource. And then while they're there, continue to do what we do well, and that's continue to pray for them and continue to offer safe community for them as they work through uh, the challenges, whether they're pandemic, um, you know, pandemic created, or, or if they were laying there dormant and the pandemic kind of ignited them, or if, they, if they've been there for a long time. What we want to say at this point, if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself that, you know, I have been experiencing depression, uh, first of all, if you're connected with a local church, reach out to your pastor. Let someone uh, or a confidant within your church body know about, you know, uh, some of the sadness or depression that you've been experiencing, and reach out to someone. Let them know that. Also a family member. Uh, But is there a hotline, Pastor, that we can direct people to if they don't have those kinds of uh, resources? Yeah, I always encourage people to go to the Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Services webpage. Um, it's O-H-O-H-M-A-S. If you Google that, you can find it. On that webpage is every mental health, addiction, suicide prevention, uh, drug prevention information for the entire state of Ohio. Um, the other, And then that will also give you access to your local community mental health and addiction services resources. In the state of Ohio, we have 88 counties. Um, we actually have an association that oversees all of our behavioral health authorities. And of those 88 counties, we have 55 behavioral health authorities that, that are sprinkled throughout the state. And they have the, the, the charge of uh, contracting with and partnering with uh, service providers that you know, can be uh, leveraged in, in the community for, for all of these things. And, uh, and they, um, they have really beefed up their, um, their resources, their, their, um, their solutions during the COVID time, uh, you know, giving access, even if it's just a phone call, if it's a, if it's a FaceTime opportunity, a telehealth opportunity, um, you know, COVID pressed us into being creative and how to create connection. And so if there is a positive that would come out of this, it's some of that. It's, it's, we've created new ways of accessibility, but you can get all the information about where the resources are in the state and locally at the OHMAS website. Very good. I want to turn a corner here because one of the things that happened during COVID, of course, when restaurants and uh, venues were shut down, there was all entertainment uh, venues were suspended. Uh, uh, you know, people weren't going out. Uh, one of the things they were doing, they were visiting the liquor store. And liquor sales uh, through, you know, just skyrocketed in this state, but not just here, but across the country. It also indicates that, uh, you know, abuse of drugs with the opiates uh, also increased. And you and I, we've talked on this program. In the last few years, there was actually progress being made because Ohio was nationally registered as one of the uh, states that had one of the worst records of opiate uh, deaths and addiction. And we started to make some progress partly through some of the great work that you and your colleagues do in recovery programs. Unfortunately, COVID came at the worst time. Uh, it's never good a time for you know a pandemic of this sort, but the shutdown happened, and uh, people were just fell into a depression. They turned to alcohol. They turned to drugs. Uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that we want to talk about here. I want to read from an editorial from Senator Portman, who's done so much work on this on the federal level. He says the latest data on opiate crisis shows how the COVID-19 pandemic reversed the progress America was making in decreasing drug overdose deaths. 
More than 90,000 Americans died of overdoses between September 2019 and September 2020 last year. Drug overdose deaths rose by more than 27% in New York and more than 24% in Ohio. Based on current trends, we expect 2021 to be as bad, if not worse. Not a good prognosis, uh, Pastor, and what are we going to do about it? Well, you know, sadly, it it is a little bit to be expected. If you know the way that the recovery community works, um, you know, it is based on community. Uh, in fact, there are many that would make the statement that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, uh, that the opposite of addiction is connection, or the opposite of addiction is relationship. And quoting my, my friend I mentioned before, Dr. Burks from Tennessee, you know, when he was on the dais with President Trump in 2018 at the RX Summit, you know, he reiterated how important, you know, these relationships that we have with each other, uh, folks that are in recovery with us, as well as, you know, those safe spaces and with counselors and and other, you know, service providers. And so it's not it's not surprising that we've had this increase. It is sad. And and I know Senator Portman's article there quoted the September to September number. I was just recently on a call with our uh, with the group from NIDA, which is the National Institute on Drug Abuse, um, and they actually came out with the November to November number, and it was 92,000. And so that is, you know, clearly trending in the wrong direction. Uh, the report that I saw indicated that there wasn't a state that was unscathed uh, in this increase; that everybody had experienced an increase. Uh, one of the reports that I had seen is that Ohio was in the in the low 30s in terms of its ranking, in terms of its percentage of increase. Folks like Louisiana really took uh, took a hit. Um, but when we think about just the way that people recover, uh, they recover in community. And when you know the the shutdowns took place and they were unable to gather, uh, really created some challenges uh, for everybody. And, and what was interesting, in fact, I was just doing a training before I hopped on here with you that we're doing for helping families navigate addiction. It's in conjunction with Governor DeWine's office and our friends from Addiction Policy Forum in Washington, D.C. And part of that training, uh, we were discussing the impact of, of COVID in terms of people who had long histories of recovery uh, who were, you know, years of, of sobriety and, and uh, abstinence from drug and alcohol use only to fall into reoccurrence and relapse, um, you know, due to the isolation. And the other part that's trending and leading to some of that, you know, number, Chris, is, is quite frankly, the, 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 the drugs themselves are, are continuing to evolve. You know, you and I know that this is being orchestrated by the enemy. Uh, and so he's continuing to continuing to evolve. And so what we're seeing is a move away, you know, from what we might have seen in 15 and 16 of, of people, you know, using black tar heroin. And it's moving toward much more potent uh, poly substances to where the, the drug of fentanyl is rarely not in everything. So it's in cocaine. It's in, you know, uh, you know, it's it's being pressed into pills that are being, you know, marketed as Xanax, and they're really fentanyl pills. In fact, I just lost a dear friend. Uh, his name was Dustin. We lost him this week uh, to something similar to that. And so, you know, you, you, put all, you put all of this together, you've got kind of a perfect storm of more potency, 
isolation, a lack of being able to stay accountable and be with community. And now, you know, you're seeing the, the, the fallout from that. And that is those overdose numbers, you know, going into places that, that clearly we never thought they'd go, especially when we were trending, as you mentioned, such in the right direction. The drug cartels are having a heyday now with an open border. The senator points that out. That cannot be ignored at this point. U.S. Customs and Border Protection shows a massive increase in seizures of fentanyl at the border. CBP has uh, seized more than 600 pounds of deadly fentanyl every month for the last 12 months. Uh, In the last six months alone, it has seized 5,400 pounds of fentanyl, enough to kill 1.2 billion people or the entire population of the United States more than three times over. Pastor, we have a crisis on the border, and this is feeding the addiction problems in this country. And as you just stated, it's going to a more uh, synthetic style that is much more potent. And um, we got to give people hope, and we got to reach them, folks. If you're listening to this program, you're a Christian. You First of all, you need to be praying. You need to be praying for our communities. You need to be praying for the people in your church, your neighborhood. You need to be praying for the people of our state and for those who are struggling uh, with addictions and that they get the help that they need. And if you know of someone who is struggling with addiction, you need to take them by the hand, show concern and care, and get them linked up with people that can help them. Pastor, your thoughts. Yes, and I, I think you, you hit it right on the money, Chris, is that, you know, the, the folks who are on the nefarious side of this business are creative. Um, you know, it's billions and billions of dollars. Um, so that part's not going to stop. And, and so we need to be cognizant and aware and having programs like this just to, you know, really share the, the facts with people is so important. But to your point about being accessible and and there to help someone both in prayer but also educating yourself on what substance use disorder really is we've spent far too much time uh in our communities stigmatizing those that are dealing with this uh challenge and it is a medical condition uh the the church often has always viewed this as as strictly a a moral failing and an issue of, of behavior and it's not and so in, in order for me to be effective at, at helping someone, I need to know what it is and what it isn't. And the good news is, is that yes, addiction happens, but recovery is possible. And recovery is happening, you know, still today, even with all of the bad news that we're sharing. You know, it's been estimated that we have about 20 million people in the United States who are uh, suffering from substance use disorder, but we have 23 million that are in recovery. Amen. And so there is a there's a group of people out there that have been there, uh, have been through it, that are great resources. But the important part is, is to Chris's point, is how do we lead with compassion and not with judgment? And I think we do that by having an understanding that uh, the folks that are dealing with this are hurting. It's likely that there's been something that has happened in their life that has pushed them to seeking relief. Uh, Dr. Gabor Mahdi makes an interesting point when he says addiction is a de- is a person's desperate attempt to solve a problem. And often that problem is pain, loss of connection, trauma in their life. And I think as the church, we really have an obligation because we have the answer to pain. We can talk to people about the hope that is Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we need to understand what's going on in that pain and, and also be able to connect them to the appropriate resources to deal with that substance use challenge and all the while continuing to come alongside them being compassionate without judgment. Thank you, Pastor. 
That's Pastor Greg Delaney, again, of Woodhaven Recovery Center of Dayton, Ohio. Pastor, thank you for being my guest today. Great program. Thank you. My pleasure, Chris. Anytime. Thank you. God bless you. And thank you for listening. God bless you, buddy. I hope it's been a blessing. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue The following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. On today's program, we're going to tackle the issue of fraud. Many Ohioans have been victims of fraudulent activity on the Internet. Credit card fraud, bank fraud are just some of the ways in which scam artists prey on our elderly and the general public. We're going to talk about this issue with State Attorney General Dave Yost. Here are a couple of examples of some of the phone call scams that some Ohioans have fallen victim to in recent months. Let's go ahead and play clip one inform you that there is illegal enforcement actions files against you and your social security number has been suspected for illegal and fraudulent activity we have received instruction to suspend all your bank accounts and social so once you receive this message call us back at 877-205-6961 and talk to the officer from social security administration i repeat for more information call us back at 877-205 6961 and talk to the officer right now. Thank you. 
<laughs> of course, don't call that number. It's a fraud call. And uh, this was one that came in on my own phone, and I've talked to other people who have gotten these types of calls. Obviously very threatening to people that receive these. But we're going to talk about this with uh, State Attorney General Dave Yost. Uh, Dave, here are just some of the examples that uh, people are experiencing, uh, residents in Ohio that have come in on their phone lines. And for someone who's elderly or, you know, maybe uh, they hear that where they're, you know, they're, uh, it's Social Security and that uh, your Social Security number has been compromised and, uh, you know, we're going to shut down your bank accounts. I mean, it's very frightening to a lot of people. Your thoughts on it? I'm just shaking my head that anybody could be so cruel. Um, it's obviously fraud on its face. There's a, a few warning signs for me, and you didn't play this to uh, for me earlier. Uh, this is the first time I've heard it, but right off the bat, uh, I noticed that there is no fair debt collection notice. Um, anytime you get a, uh, a legitimate call about money you actually owe, there's going to be a notice about who's calling and that it's an attempt to collect a debt. Not that they're going to shut your bank account off. Uh, the second thing that I notice about this uh, is that it sounds like a, a government office. Um, right there, talking about an officer. Talk to the officer. Uh, well, who's an officer? A police officer? Uh, you know, an administrative an administrative officer, some kind of official, uh, and yet they never identify who they are. Um, the fact of the matter is uh, the government, anybody in power, is not going to call you and tell you to call them back about an issue with uh, the government. They're going to send you a letter. Um, and uh, if there is a telephone call, it won't be the kind that we just heard. It's going to be, hi, I'm Biswell Snork from uh, the IRS. Um, you know, could you please call me or from the you know, Commerce Department or the FBI, God forbid. Um, but, but they're not going to be calling you and leaving you a message that your, your accounts are about to be seized. Um, those kinds, of, if there's a legal proceeding to do so uh, or a contemplated one, those, those notices are going to come in writing. Um, and uh, it's, it's just awful that, that they're doing that. Um, Social Security is never going to call you by telephone. They do their um, work by mail. Uh, and finally, never call back a blank number. Uh, notice that they never said where that is going to actually ring to. Right. Um, if it's a legitimate uh, group, let's say some lawyer who's been retained to actually collect a debt, they're going to say, call the Jones Law Group at blah, 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 um, not just call and talk to the officer at this number. If you have questions, one easy way to check on this, by the way, is uh, you know, if you think it's a Social Security or, a, or maybe I've heard some from, you know, this is you know, the sheriff's office, look up the sheriff's office uh, on the Internet. Uh, go to the site that's the official government website, get the phone number, and call that number and say, could I speak to the security officer that wants to talk to me about my bank accounts? Um, that, and you always find that it's not the number 
uh, <laughs> that was on your voicemail. Right. That... Uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that you're savvy about this, Chris, and you didn't call him back. <laughs> well, again, we're talking with State Attorney General Dave Yost, and we're so glad you're with us on the program, Mr. Attorney General, to discuss this important issue. And you know, some of the listeners right now they've gotten those kinds of calls, and it's very frightening to hear about your Social Security. So, if you're a retired person, you're on a fixed income, you're hearing someone saying, "Well, your Social Security number's been compromised, your bank accounts are about to be shut down." You're an elderly person living alone. You're hearing that. It's like, oh, I, uh, what did I do wrong? What did I, I be, stop? Do not call them back. It's fraud, and these are sinister people. And and you know, check with a family member, play back the message for them, and like the attorney general said, you know, even call the sh- local sheriff's department about this call that came in. It, you know, to check on that if if it, they're saying they're from the sheriff's department. But again, these are some of the legal tags. They're threatening Social Security, your bank accounts. But it's very generic in that way as well. They say the Social Security Administration. The Social Security will never call you on that. They'll write They'll write you. They know where your address is, and if there's any issue, they'll be putting it in the mail to you. So, you know, these are some of the things that you can do. And, you know, in our network, uh, Mr. Attorney General, we've had people that have had uh, credit cards card uh, fraud. We had one lady, she had to call us two different times to give us an update on her credit card. She's a monthly donor, a uh, modest monthly donor to the organization, but she said, you know, my I've had uh, two times in which my credit card has been compromised, and uh, I've had to give you new numbers, and, and uh, you know, we've going back to some of our people. So, uh, this is out there. It's happening. And she's, you know, her husband passed away this last year, actually, because of COVID. And so she's kind of handling everything herself. And it becomes a little bit cumbersome. And especially that's that's who they're they're targeting, isn't it? Uh, you know, maybe the widow that's living alone or, you know, the senior person that doesn't really have somebody to kind of bounce some ideas off. Your thoughts there? Well, you're exactly right. Scam artists of any type are always looking for uh, somebody who's isolated, somebody who's vulnerable in some way. Uh, maybe they've been sick. Maybe, they, maybe they've lost a loved one and they're alone in the world now. Um, maybe they have lost their job. Uh, and, you know, the, the criminal knows that. And so they prey on those fears. Um, it, 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 the, there are lists out there on the dark web that bad guys buy to try to find marks, uh, people who are vulnerable to a particular kind of scam. And uh, one thing I, I, you mentioned, to check with a family member, absolutely. But the, the, the sad truth is there are people who don't have anybody. Um, you know, particularly some of our seasoned citizens, um, they're, you know, they're, they're alone in the world. And so to them, I would say, call the attorney general's hotline. Uh, We are there. If you've got a call that you think may be fraudulent, we would love to know about it. We're collecting data to go after these people with lawsuits. We've been successful in shutting a few of them down, and we're working with other states and the federal government to try to uh, uh, develop new tools to go after these people because it's just pernicious. Uh, But if you're alone out there uh, and need to have a little bit of help discerning whether 
that call you got is legit or not, uh, call the Attorney General's office. Let us see what we can do to be helpful. Great idea. We'll provide that in an email when we send out uh, this um, uh, radio message to our membership as well. Let's go to clip number two. Here's another example of a fraudulent call. The package has been seized under your name by U.S. Customs and Border Protection with contraband of drugs and cash. So the moment you receive this call, press 1 to speak with the CBP officer. I repeat, press 1 to speak with CBP officer. Thank you. <laughs> Again, this one came in a couple of weeks ago, and this one was a little more sophisticated, Mr. Attorney General, because the day before they said you're you're going to be receiving a package today between the hours of noon and four, right? And no other information. I'm like, what? And it was like a message on my record. Then this one comes in the day after. We've seized the package that was in your names with drugs and, you know, whatever. Uh, U.S. Customs got it. And so, again, your thoughts on this fraudulent call? Well, I trust you did not press one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, because what will happen is if you press one, you're going to go directly to a crook. Now, you might say, well, I'm going to waste, I know it's a a fraud, and I'm going to just waste their time. Or maybe you think, well, I'm smart enough to tell, so I'm just going to press one to see what happens, to see whether, still don't do that. Here's why. I talked about the lists that are for sale on the dark web. If you press one, you just moved from being a low-tier target to being a high-tier target. We got them to we got them to nibble. Uh, it's like like uh, putting a uh, worm on the hook and, and tossing it in. Uh, you don't know whether there's any fish in that old fishing hole or not. But if that bobber starts moving up and down, even if you don't catch a fish, you're gonna you're gonna keep fishing that fishing hole. Oh my! And yeah. Uh, so it, it, under no circumstances respond to these things. Don't pick up and hang up. Don't press one. Uh, don't return the call from your, your voicemail uh, when they're vague like this. Here's the other tip-off to me, and, and Chris, you know I was a prosecuting attorney for years, and that's my background, so maybe I'm overly suspicious. But what does it prove if somebody sent a package to you in your name to your house? Uh, absolutely nothing. Uh, I could send a package to your house, Chris, this afternoon. Uh, you don't have to agree to it. You don't have to sign for it. You don't have to know about it. Uh, all that. Pr- the only thing you can prove from that is <laughs> that somebody sent a pa- package to your address, which is probably a matter of public record through the county courthouse. Um, so th- this, uh, there has never been an investigative uh, effort uh, that relied on, on such a hokey and unreasonable uh, way to do an interview. Uh, let me tell you something. If you're really seriously a suspect uh, for having drugs shipped to your house, they will have other things in the file than the fact that there's a right. shipment to your house. Yeah. And there's going to be an agent knocking on your door in person with an impressive-looking badge and probably a partner who wants to talk to you. Uh, they're not going to ask you to press one. Well, fraud is a big problem, and I know that your office is all over it. And, in fact, you supported legislation 
that was introduced in the Ohio Senate, Senate Bill 54. Tell us a little bit about Senate Bill 54 and how that's going to help with some of these robocalls of fraudulent activity. Well, what it will do is it will harmonize state law with federal law. Uh, There's certain things that the federal government can do in terms of tracking these bad guys down that we can't do under Ohio law. Um, But if we pass Senate Bill 54, it will enable us to have those same tools and we will be able, like the federal government, uh, to reach into some of these these scams. I'll tell you, the other thing that um, I'm we're working on, you've probably read that a lot of these calls originate overseas. Yes. And so it's, uh, frankly, kind of hard for the Ohio Attorney General to sue somebody in Romania. So what we're focusing on now is we're working with the good players in the telecom industry, and there are uh, most of them, actually. And we're we're going after the, um, the checkpoints where these fraudulent calls are flooding into the American comm system uh, and the the shady actors who will allow these uh, these fraudulent calls through their systems, we're going after them. We're going after the the, uh, credit card uh, service, uh, merchant uh, services uh, people, uh, the vendors who enable these bad guys um, to stay in the shadows, and we want to uh, we want to send a message: don't don't call, don't put your calls into Ohio because uh, we're watching and we're going to come for you. Absolutely, we're talking with State Attorney General Dave Yost. We're talking about the problem of fraud in Ohio and how to get ahead of it and protect yourself at the same time. Mr. Attorney General, I want to turn the corner here just a little bit. Obviously, during the COVID pandemic, uh, the federal government provided additional resources to states for unemployment benefits. Ohio was one of those states, of course, that received increased funding for those who were unemployed due to the pandemic shutdown. Many people were put on unemployment and, of course, uh, to help alleviate some of the uh, financial issues that people were facing. Uh, additional funds were put into the Unemployment Bureau Fund. With that uh, additional money came the opportunity for fraud. Now, the administration was trying to get the money out to as many people. In fact, the, the, the most applications for unemployment came in during the COVID shutdown last year in their history. And so it was, you know, even as they stated, it was an antiquated uh, computer system. They weren't really ready for that. And uh, there was lots of challenges with it. Well, fraudsters found a way to actually make uh, fraudulent claims in real um, identity of people in Ohio. In fact, the state auditor said there was a claim made in my name. So people were using the identities of other Ohioans, and these were many of them foreign actors, and using a third-party bank to uh, request funds. And uh, the initial numbers are $426 million. Uh, dollars in fraudulent payments through unemployment through just Ohio alone. Now, many states were fell victim to this. Uh, the full um, number isn't in yet because the state attorney general, um, excuse me, the state auditor is conducting an audit. He has a, th- a third-party group that's doing that, an independent group doing an audit. Uh, what What's your thoughts on the unemployment fraud uh, problem of uh, 2020? Well, I'll tell you, this has been a grind for me. Um, for years and years, because the federal government 
uh, and therefore it you know pushes the states into this policy as well as a policy called pay and chase. Um, now, it, it's a nice theory. It's a uh, a, uh, a charitable idea that if somebody's hurting and if somebody's having a, a desperate time, maybe going to uh, lose their home or not be able to pay their electric bill, you want to get the uh, assistance to them as quickly as possible. You don't you don't want them evicted or, or freezing in the cold uh, because the government is churning through trying to decide whether they're eligible. But when I was prosecuting attorney back in Delaware County, um, they would send me these cases of people that they felt didn't deserve uh, the benefits they had received long after the fact, months, years sometimes. And so now we have a poor person who's on the edge of, of survival, perhaps. And instead of catching it early, they've racked up $2,000, $5,000, $7,000. They've never seen that much money in their life. And now they send it to me and want me to try to collect it or, worse yet, prosecute these people. Um, and it's pay and chase. Pay it and then chase it if it's bad. Well, once we got to uh, COVID, uh, they just continued that, and boy, were the thieves ready overseas, uh, here domestically, and the federal government couldn't shovel that money out fast enough through the states, and the states didn't have any option either. Now, I will tell you, a frustration is of mine is uh, I don't have any authority over this matter uh, under Ohio law, and the primary responsibility with this rests with the federal government, um, and they've got an investigation going, uh, but most of that money is gone, and, and we won't be getting it back, and most of the people that did the fraud probably aren't going to go to jail for it. Uh, it just makes my blood boil. I wish it was different than that, um, but it really starts with this cockamamie system uh, of pay and chase. Here's my solution. It's 2021. Let's make the government act in a sane way. Why don't we let people verify, let them verify employment uh, or tax information in real time? Uh, when there's an application, uh, so the, or, or just do the kinds of things that private credit card companies do and e-commerce does to protect against fraud. Um, you know, it's simple enough to pick up the phone and call Chris Long and say, hey, Chris, <laughs> when did you lose your job? What? I haven't lost my job. That's right. Um, so I, I'm very frustrated by this. Um, it, it's a perfect example of the criminal world becoming more agile and inventive than our government. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. 
The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue well, again, we're talking with State Attorney General Dave Yost. We're talking about fraud. I want to turn the corner one more time before we close out, Mr. Attorney General. Voter fraud cases in the state of Ohio. Last week, we had the opportunity to meet with Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who gave us a tour of the facilities. He discussed uh, with his office uh, about uh, how he is safeguarding against cyber attacks at the Secretary of State's office. One of the pastors asked him about voter fraud cases. He, re- he referenced that in 2019 there were a number of cases of non-citizens voting illegally and others who cast a ballot in uh, two or more states uh, in the same election and that those findings were turned over to your office uh, for uh, reference and, and prosecution. In fact, uh, the numbers are 77 non-citizens who voted in, uh, in Ohio in 2018, and then also uh, 18 voters uh, for casting ballots in um, multiple states in the same election, and those uh, uh, voter fraud cases were turned over to your office. How is that handled then when it's turned over to you? Is it back to the counties for uh, prosecution? What's the process? Yes, uh, we do the investigation at our Bureau of Criminal Investigation and Identification. Um, all of those cases were completed within about six, uh, 60 days or so uh, of Frank's referral. And from there, the file goes out to the individual prosecuting attorneys who make a decision whether to prosecute or not. Um, we did have several uh of those cases that uh, were mooted, basically, because we couldn't find the people. They'd been deported uh, by ICE, which well, you know, was uh, not a bad thing to do. I would have preferred that they took a felony conviction and, and spent a little bit of time in jail first before they got deported. But uh, most, of the, uh, most of the cases were... Um, found to be uh, warranted and were sent to local county prosecutors for consideration of charges. Well, that's part of the problem is that uh, when you get a county prosecutor that won't pursue the charges of voter fraud, that's where people don't take voter fraud seriously. One of the pieces of legislation that we're going to be supporting in the Ohio legislature is called a prosecutorial referral bill, and that would mean after six months if the uh, local county prosecutor doesn't uh, pursue the charges of known voter fraud, it would refer back to your office uh, for prosecution. Uh, we'd like to discuss that bill with you, and uh, I think it's something in which we could actually see some real action with voter fraud in the state of Ohio. Well, we would welcome the conversation. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Mr. Attorney General, for being my guest today. Thank you so much for taking time. 
It's wonderful to talk to you, Chris. God bless. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much for your service to our state. Well, if you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.